Hi, this is Nikki Klein from Battlestar Galactica, and you're listening to Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. I developed color palettes that I used for each Cylon. Fans call them blasters, we call them colonial sidearms. What are we going to do to a Raptor this week? Hello and welcome to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. A fracking podcast about Battlestar Galactica and this is episode 74. Our website is galacticaquorum.com. Our email is gquorum at gmail.com. That's spelled G-Q-U-O-R-U-M at gmail.com. And our voicemail is 301-358-5175. Follow us on Twitter, where our account is Galactica Quorum, and visit our website to stop in on our forums and join in on the conversation about what you thought of the BSG finale and other sci-fi shows. I'm Brian, and for this episode, we begin our post-BSG coverage. Now that the show is over, there's a lot of things we're catching up on, some interviews that we did in the past, some special topics we said we'd get to. And of course, the big wrap-up of the season and the finale and the show in general. We had a lot of voicemails and a lot of emails, and we took a little bit of time off to sort of absorb everything and organize all the emails and correspondence and our own thoughts. So the next episode is when we'll really hash out a lot of our thoughts about the finale and season five. And it probably will take more than one episode to do it because there's a lot to discuss and a lot of people want to be involved with the town hall that we're going to do. Again, if you want to be involved with that, send us an email. We're going to try to set something up soon. For this episode, we're going to be playing some interviews that I did at the prop auction back in January in Pasadena. This was the weekend that BSG came back on the air after a several month hiatus and began what we call season five. So that'll give you a little bit of context to figure out when things were in terms of when the story was and what spoilers they were trying to not tell us. At the prep auction, they had costume and prop and art designers there giving Q&A sessions and interviews. So you could ask questions about some of the creations that were being auctioned off, some of the costumes and some of the iconic props that we've all become familiar with. In this podcast, we'll be talking to... Glenn Campbell, who was the costume designer. Next, we'll hear from Ken Harlow, who's the prop master. And then finally, I talk with Kevin Grazier, who is the science advisor. And I also talk with the art director, Doug McLean, but that's going to be a separate podcast of my conversation with him. So, hope you enjoy these. Let's roll through them now. Okay, we're talking with Glenn Campbell, the costume designer for Battlestar Galactica. With the Sharon and the Eights, when they're on screen, the producers went through a lot of trouble to make sure there was a difference between them so you weren't confused about who was on screen at one time. They had a different hairstyle or whatever. What did you do in terms of dressing an eight a certain way to emphasize its personality or something like that? When we got to the Cylon Bay ship, I knew it was going to be a trick as to instant recognition by the audience as to who was who. So I developed color palettes that I used for each Cylon, and it was particularly important for eight to um, have different color palettes. And then also as we developed more of her characters and and their personalities, um, we started introducing lace textures into the soft number eight. Yeah, so texture and palette. And the six was sounded the same way. There's several varieties of sixes. 
the most recent being, I guess, the Natalie Six. What did you bring for that one? She had more like earthy type of colors than the, the very vibrant red that we see for the Head Six. Well, and her personality was warmer, and so I wanted it to be warmer colors and softer silhouettes, softer feel to it, so that people would have empathy with her, as opposed to the head six, who was just dangerous and psychotic making. When you're designing the costumes, how does the jewelry come into play? Uh, is that something you consider that you have to fabricate those from scratch, or do you try to find those out with like a local jeweler somewhere, or do you construct those? Uh, we actually had a jeweler in Vancouver design and create pieces for the show. There's very little jewelry in the show. As I was explaining yesterday, I, t- I like to take inspiration from real-life scenario. And a dear friend of mine, a Vietnamese lady, was a Vietnamese refugee from the Vietnam War. Her family had been jewelers. When they had to flee, they took all their jewelry with them so that they could bargain their way to freedom. A lot of these people have been in the very same scenario where they've had to trade whatever they could to get essentials. Went from luxury items to essentials. We go to conventions and we dress up in our costumes and whatnot. And it must be gratifying for you to see people dressed up in some of your creations. Is there any one particular costume that is really hard to do that you're really impressed that someone pulled it off? Or is there something that you feel that uh, is just a really nice costume I'm going to sort of go off track here a little bit because what I find way more intriguing is who the person is that's inside of that costume. So I think it's absolutely wonderful that they're getting joy from the costume and that they become a collective. But I always have to ask them, what do you do in your real day-to-day existence? And sometimes I think, whoa, wouldn't it be weird if I went and played on the weekend as a forensic scientist or, or as a computer engineer or something? I mean, if I could trade places like that, it'd be amazing. So I really have to give them all credit for being able to shift gears and, and have many worlds going on. Well, I w- if I had the resources and the talent, I would have made a... Viper Pilot costume, but acquiring all the material was just impossible. So I ended up just having a BDU outfit, which is still cool, but I still wish that I had the the Viper outfit. But I don't know what that tells you about me, but... <laughs> well, I mean, I love it. I think that there's a special group of us who do want to be in the air. We're pulled to the ground by gravity, and it's unfortunate. So I'm not sure if it's the costume that you're after or the flight that you're after. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much. Okay, take care. Okay, I'm talking with Ken Harlew, the prop master for Battlestar Galactica. I've always had a question. One of my favorite props is the Season 1 blaster, and I've always wondered what became of that weapon as he's transitioned to the one that came up in Season 2, and what was the reason for the change, and what you had involved with that. Sure. Well, actually, first of all, I should correct you. It's a, we call them colonial sidearms. We don't call them blasters, but that, okay. fans call them blasters. We call them colonial sidearms. Uh, what happened was the, um, the clamshell sidearm that they built for the miniseries, when we started using it, there were two problems with it. A, the way it was made, it was actually made of metal, and it was coated in Teflon, and it just, it just looked like a big chunk of plastic, just because uh, 
that's just what it was, basically. So it didn't have a lot of detail on it, and it didn't have any functionality in terms of you couldn't, if you wanted to reload a magazine or if you wanted to put the gun on safety or there was no hammer to pull back or anything like that. So we wanted to get some more functionality in it so there was some more business for the actors to do with it. So we did that, but then we still couldn't reload it because there's still no way because it was a clamshell gun that fit over to an existing firearm. And every time you had to reload it, you'd have to basically take it apart with a, a wrench and put it back together again. So I just decided to redesign the whole thing and start from scratch. And uh, so we found another firearm that, that was exotic that worked for us. And we kind of modified it and added a few things and changed it around a bit. Is it difficult finding a new weapon that hasn't been used in some other science fiction show or that hasn't been modded in some way? That's something, like you said, it's unique? Yeah, it is very difficult. And what I try and do for the most part is find something exotic looking, A, that is not readily available in the United States. People don't recognize it. I mean, people who are gun aficionados are going to be able to pick it out, and that's fine. Um, that just makes it more fun for them. But I want to try and find something that people aren't going to see at, at, on the 6 o'clock news that night and, you know, that kind of thing. So and we start with something exotic. And then I try not to add too much to it because uh, I've always been amazed at the logic of how somehow when technology gets better in the future, guns seem to get bigger, which I don't really understand. So I try to streamline if possible or make modifications to disguise it as much as possible without interfering with the functionality and the safety of the gun, basically. With props, what's the percentages generally about? What is found items that you just see something that you can add stuff to and things that you completely manufacture yourself? Actually, a small, a small amount of the stuff we use is straight off the shelf, very little. I mean, there's, there's always some, usually some modification or some addition or subtraction that has to be done to it. Either we, we change the look of it or we add something to it or take something away from it. I don't know what the percentage would be. Maybe probably a quarter of the stuff we use is off the shelf. The rest is modified in some way or manufactured from scratch. Probably about a quarter or a third of what we have in the show is manufactured from scratch. And then the middle portion of that's probably uh, cobbled together from existing things and found objects and adding things and taking things away and modifying. Now, you've probably seen some of the items that show up on like eBay or uh, there's fan sites that where they make their own props. And have you had a chance to look at some of those pieces? And what do you think of their either their quality or are they close to the original? Have you noticed any of those items? Yeah, I've, I've checked them out from time to time. I'm always impressed by the ingenuity and the, and the determination of people to do that. It's a lot of work. I know how much work is involved. And I think they've got to be really dedicated to the hobby to do that, first of all. And I, I certainly appreciate that. Some of them look good. Some of them aren't so good. It's funny because I, I was laughing with my guys one time because I looked at, there was a, somebody who was making clamshell replicas they were selling on, uh, plastic replicas they were selling on the internet. I said, you know, if we ever go back to these, I can get these cheaper on the internet than I can make them myself. So we've got our supplier found already. So what uh, are your next projects? Well, I don't have anything lined up right now. I'm looking possibly at some pilots coming up and that kind of thing. I'm sort of biding my time a bit, hoping that uh, I can get on Caprica when it starts up in the summer. That's my that's my goal. No one's confirmed that, so you can start the letter-writing campaign to try and get me hired on Caprica, because <laughs> I really want to do it. I, really, I want to carry on the continuity from having done the, the two-hour movie and and carry through the series because of, you know, the Battlestar spinoff and all that. Do you see that as a different challenge, since that series is based on more of a... Well, it's not in space, so uh, it'd be a totally different approach, really, wouldn't it? It, it is a different approach. It's got a different aesthetic to it. It's got its own challenges, but I think it's uh, it's quite a visual feast. When people see the show, they're going to be blown away at how good it looks. So it's it's quite a visual feast, and I, I really enjoy it. It's a totally different thing, but it's challenging and interesting on for different reasons, and I really enjoyed it. I think it's going to be a great show. Well, thank you very much for your time. Okay, we're talking with Dr. Kevin Grazier, scientific advisor to Battlestar Galactica. When you start off a show, 
what's the process when you go do you have like a certain strata of all right this show is really unbelievable this one is medium believable this one is hard science fiction and then you go from there how do you first begin to take a look at what is within the realm of possible science and stuff that we're just going to be like not even try to explain the um Different writers deal with me, interact with me differently, and different shows dictate different amounts of science. I mean, so there's there's two two things that are wild cards here. If a show has a lot of tech in it, thinking like Scattered is one, Scar is another, the writers will usually come to me beforehand and say, these are things we want to do, how do we do them? Or is this plausible? Or does this work? Uh, Maelstrom, another one that comes to mind. So they'll ask me in advance, and then we'll discuss the science in advance, and then they'll incorporate it. But for every script, every episode, I get the script, and then I get a chance to comment and write notes on it and send it back saying, this works, this doesn't, we can change this, we can you know, modify this. And so uh, and in the end, they actually, the, the writers have listened to me quite a bit, and I can't complain to the degree which they've, they've incorporated my suggestions. Now, is there a cookbook that you kind of go through when you start a new show? Like you said, all right, number one, let's see, how do they do gravity? How do they do FTL? How do they do, you know, weapons or things like that? Generally, no. A lot of things were established before I got in the show. I got in the show as of 33. I went 33 all through the, to the very end. So a lot of things were established in the miniseries. But for any science fiction series, you have a few conceits that you that you are given, that you are allowed. And artificial gravity is kind of a standard conceit that if you don't have artificial gravity, you know, it's going to be really bad in the production cost department. Uh, faster than light travel is another one that if we assume that the planets are reasonably spaced anywhere near what they are in, in real life, then if we want to see another planet in our character's lifetimes, then we better find some way to go faster than the speed of light or that just isn't going to happen. We do have sound in space, though it is muted. And that was the decision made early on. But apart from that, we don't say we're going to do this. We're not going to do this. They write the episodes and then I, I critique that one way or the other, good, bad, or indifferent. Mm -hmm. BSG for me is, it started off as a really sort of hard sci-fi show. Well, you think about the Vipers that have the little jets on them instead of uh, flying through space without any sort of propulsion to make them move up and down and the bullets. And But then as the show progressed, we got more of the, the Cylon God and the mysticism and some of the things that were introduced. And then you have to explain things in a different way. So it's not as much science and um, like... See, people have these visions and things like that. And then does that become problematic for you when you, there's things that can't really be explained because it's not really science as we know it? I don't even try to explain the mysticism things because those are just that mysticism. It is science fiction, of course. I explain the science where hard science is, is warranted and I leave the mysticism alone because that's going to remain spiritual and it's not, I'm, I'm not going to change it, nor am I going to try. And really, the, I think the level of science hasn't changed from beginning to end. You know, we had an episode where two characters got thrown out the airlock. There was a lot of science there and, and done, I think, right for the first time ever, in, in my opinion. We had um, a lot of science in episodes like Maelstrom. We had a, a, a Jovian planet like Jupiter. And we had some interesting science in the first 10 episodes of um, the uh, fourth season with the planet and Kara's vision. And there was actually some interesting science uh, that, that went on there. So, like I said, the science that's for science, that has to be scientific accurate, is what I'll address. And anything that's spiritual, mysticism, and visions, I leave alone because that's part where the fiction comes in. Do you also delve into some of the things that's less physics, things like AI and cybernetic machinations and things like that? We had a lot of that in season two with the um, the Cylons having gotten a virus into Galactica's um, system uh, through the, the network they set up for calculating the, the fleet's position. So yes, we've had computer science and system networking and I wouldn't call it AI, but we've, there's been a lot of computer science involved as well. And we did think through a lot of those things. And a lot of the, the complaints I've seen online or, or people have made are, are actually think are somewhat un, un, unwarranted. 
but yeah, we, we, we think a lot of these things through pretty, pretty thoroughly. And, and we've had biology in the show, we've had artificial intelligence, astrophysics, et cetera. It's, it's, it runs the gamut. How deeply have you considered things like the Cylon resurrection mechanism, like the Wi-Fi that spurts out when they die? And uh, I mean, do you go to that level of detail where you figure out a system that we'll never see on screen as viewers, but you just have to figure it out to uh, the exact process of how everything works? Sometimes. It depends on uh, how much detail we plan on going to on screen. We usually think of things in greater detail than we're going to need, but not much further than that. Does that answer your question? I, or, or not? I guess I'm, I'm, I want to know how it works. <laughs> I want to I wanna know what the... I've always wondered that. that that's something for me that I, I've always wondered, especially uh, about when we compare the biology between the Cylon and the human. And it's like they say, well, they're very much the same, except, well, their spines glow. And I, I assume they have a Wi-Fi mechanism because they, when they die, they transfer all their consciousness. And I've always wondered how that worked. And uh, I mean, I don't have to have it explained. I accept that. But I've always wondered if uh, there was some something behind that well the problem we have I, there's two part answer to that number one is there are nine episodes left and if it could potentially be a plot point i really don't want to discuss it and give away spoilers um secondly is i'm also shameless plug time we're working on a book co-authoring book the science of battlestar galactica and not sure when that's coming out yet but we do discuss things like silent biology and the downloading process and, and things like that in, in that book okay so let's talk about a few bits of science in a couple of episodes let's do the webisodes since they just happened uh there's the bit uh, i've heard you talk about the data switch of the one bit changing to another and uh how well, just tell about how that came about that little bit of behind the story interestingly enough when jane nispenson and i interact it's, it's we have weird raptor karma i call it because whenever she contacts me it seems like okay jane what are we going to do to a raptor this week and this case she said okay we're doing webisodes and sketched out what happens how how can we get a raptor as, as a lifeboat off by itself that no one knows where it is? And I suggested jumping in the whole process. They jump beyond the red line because of, of something that happens in the, the coordinates. And I said, it's a, something called a single event upset where a charged particle flips a bit. And that actually happens on our spacecraft. We've had recently the uh, Mars Phoenix spacecraft had an SEU, a single event upset that put them into what we call safing mode and said that something's wrong with my calculations until you tell me what to do i'm not going to do anything so it happens and, and i was telling the uh, jane and kevin the people who wrote the episodes about this and i don't know if they didn't believe me or not but as we were discussing this like the next day or two phoenix had a saving event because of an seu so see it does happen and so that that's based on real science that's not that's not something that came out of uh, thin air so yeah that, that's just something that 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 works and speaking of air, do you have something in the webisodes where you're figuring out, oh, they have this much time left? And what was the thing about the, the, the eight that died and they said we have to dump her quick before she pollutes the air? Was that actually accurate too? Well, when people die, they do <clears throat> emit gases. Within 20 hours, what they had, the amount of time they have left? They emit gases. They, they emit gases on much shorter time periods than that. But, um, so that's, See, we learned something new. <laughs> some of that's internal already, but some of that is the bacteria that's in your body starting to uh, feast on, on the host. But at the same time, the discussion, you know, we discuss a lot of things that never end up on screen. Or, and, and one of the things we discussed is we want to get rid of this body. Well, the 1-8 didn't want it poked around too much you know, at this one evidence. But secondly, the psychological idea of having a dead body with you you know you're, you're in, a, in a life or death situation that's just draining so we decided just we just want to get rid of it for the reason other than other than that and that was the rationale that the eight used the eight who wants to get rid of the body so while it's, it's true at some level it's also the eight was looking for rationales to ditch the result of, of her duplicity 
All right. How about something that was just in the most recent episode we watched, The Radiated Earth? Uh, they said it happened 2,000 years ago, and I'm sure you figured out just how radiated it would still be after 2,000 years and the level of it in the, oh, the land, the water. So I, how long would it be before it was unradiated? Like tens of thousands of years, a million years? What would it be for a full-scale nuclear attack of across the globe? It would be a while, but we, we may be getting into spoiler land. So, yes, you know, the time that this that would be, the, the radiation would be in the food chain was, was taken into consideration. But um, it was, that's about all further I'm willing to go at this point in time. <laughs> okay. All right. I can say that the, uh, the last 10 episodes are, um, are quite wonderful. And Ron did a very good job of letting everybody have the opportunity to shine. So, uh, I, I had a lot to do in the last 10. Great. Well, thank you very much. Pleasure. I just want to thank Glenn and Ken and Kevin for talking with me. I really enjoyed talking with Kevin at the BSG cast frack party. Had so many cool things to tell us about the show. Just little things that uh, really made you appreciate so much more about what goes into the production of the show. And little tidbits like just what the heck DRATUS stands for. For those that are curious, it stands for Direction, Range, and Distance. So that should wrap up this podcast again. We will have a full wrap-up, a full post-mortem of Daybreak Part 2 and the end of Battlestar Galactica coming up. Until then, you can reach us at galacticacorum.com and our email, which is gcorum at gmail.com. And don't forget our voicemail, 301-358-5175. Send us your thoughts. Send us some topics that you might like to hear covered. It doesn't have to be about Battlestar Galactica. So until next time, when I'm joined with the full quorum, the jump clock is running. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.